When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, Maureen in New Zealand, good morning to you on the start of uh, a new week and uh, a busy week it's going to be as well with uh, royal funerals etc, a lot of sport coming up and uh, we're going to review uh, first of all the NPC, the Bunnings NPC with Jeff McTainch, of course Sky Sport rugby commentator and analyst um, just uh, after uh, 9.30 we're going to go to uh, Australia and talk to Christy Doran, Christy is the Fox Sports rugby reporter uh, the still Still the fallout from uh, the weekend, or sorry, the weekend last Thursday night uh, and that uh, decision which uh, changed the course of the match right at the very end. Uh, here, Australia are looking for a formal please explain. It won't give them the points, it won't give them the win, but they might feel better about it if they get that. Sarah McGlashan is the White Ferns batting coach. Now, of course, the White Ferns have been uh, already supposed to have played the West Indies, but due to Tropical Storm Fiona, the series has been on hold and that uh, will start tomorrow, New Zealand time. First of three one-day internationals before playing five T20. So it'll be a much more congested program for the White fans. We'll hear about that. The panel consists of uh, Jamie Wall and Aaron Goyle this morning. Subjects include uh, the Ranfurly Shield going south, uh, the Springboks, uh, World Rugby, Cricket, um, the Black Caps, of course, uh, naming their squad tomorrow for the T20 World Cup. All those squads coming together now, if you've been uh, following the cricket news. Uh, just uh, after 11 o'clock, we'll talk to Andrew Voss. Of course, uh, why not? Uh, Voss, he called one of those uh, uh, NRL grand uh, semifinals over the weekend. Um, and, of course, uh, he would have been all over the other one. And uh, that'll probably take us through to a stump smithy around about 11.30. We might have a reflection on the Queen as well at some point. Um, and then we'll talk to, just before midday, uh, I believe, Stephen McIver, who's in for Staffy this afternoon. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, all plaudits to the Wellington Lions. They came to the bay with a mission, and it was accomplished. They have the log of wood. They were clinical enough, and judging by their post-match celebrations, they were pretty darn happy about it too, and good luck to them. They deserved it. No dodgy referee stuff, no complaints. And I'm assuming Sunday morning, Wellington Airport was chocker with fans and family and friends to welcome them home with New Zealand's finest rugby trophy in tow. I mean, it's been a while, Wellington, let's be fair. Not many, if any, of this group would have touched the prize, and there's a whole generation who probably haven't even heard of it. That is the respect the holder and its bounty deserves. And next Saturday afternoon, you would not expect too many visible yellow seats at Sky Stadium, would you? I mean, there should be a healthy crowd in attendance for defence number one against the mighty Waikato. This will be a stern one beaten up themselves over the weekend they will be a willing challenger 
There's uh, been less and less sympathy too for Bernard Foley in the continuing wake of last Thursday night's All Black Great Escape. Referee after referee, including the doyen himself, Nigel Owens, have come in to support Monsieur Renal in his fateful decision. And I wouldn't mind betting Foley will get his fair share of raspberries this weekend as he lines up free kicks or place kicks at Eden Park. And there will be plenty of sermons much more worthy of this one in the next 24 hours as Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II is laid to rest, the greatest woman who has walked the earth in my lifetime bar none. I can categorically say that. It was a treat to meet her, an even greater one to engage with her. And if it's good enough for David Beckham to queue for the masses with the masses for 12 hours to pay tribute, surely it's good enough for all of us to spare a thought or two in the coming hours. Hers was a mighty, mighty rain. And for Wellington fans, let's hope yours is not at the other end of the scale. It's 9.07 here on SENZ on a Monday, Monday morning. And uh, NPC is a talking point. Uh, I think it's been one of the great competitions, and Round 7 uh, brought us plenty to talk about, including a certain Ranfilly Shield challenge that saw Hawke's Bay's incredible run come to an end at the hands of Wellington, but they won't have much time to celebrate. Their first challenge comes this Saturday with a top-of-the-odds conference clash against Waikato. Before that, Round 7 wraps up on Wednesday with Taranaki against Counties Manukau at Yarrow Stadium. On the line with us is Sky Sport Rugby commentator Jeff McTainch, who's right in the thick of the action. Jeff, good morning to you. G'day, mate. Nice to speak to you again. How are you? Yeah, I'm damn good, actually, and I'm loving the NPC, and the reason why is because pretty much every game you look at, you really don't know the outcome of it. It's been incredible competition with some very, very close matches. It has been, mate. It's been a a really interesting competition from from that point of view. Obviously, everyone back together again and, and playing for the same titles. Great. Um, we've seen some fantastic rugby, some some young guys coming through, some teams perhaps uh, at the start of the competition that we thought would be there, um, namely Taranaki, who, who just haven't got it together this season for for one reason or another. But um, you know, and, and others um, others starting to play some good rugby with with, with the players that they've they've got in Auckland. Um, have had a good season. Obviously, they fell to North Harbour in the weekend, but um, it has been a, a fascinating competition, and it's really difficult to predict how it's going to unfold in the next couple of weeks. Um, obviously, a lot of teams have got storm weeks still to come, and and um, it's vitally important to pick up the points. We saw with Waikato in the weekend, you know, going down to Dunedin. Uh, I was there calling yesterday. Um, they were favourites to win that game, but Otago haven't been far off this uh, this season, and... Um, and that was a vitally important win for them too, to uh, to keep them in the hunt. But I guess you'd want to probably talk off the bat, uh, we'll go through that Renfield Field uh, <laughs> contest. No, that was uh, a heck of a game to watch. I was actually at the, the Spates Ale House in Dunedin having uh, having a, having dinner, um, watching that one. And um, you took your eye off the screen for a second, and uh, you, you, it just the game changed. It was it was a fascinating watch. It was fascinating watch, and uh, I've got to take my hat off to Wellington. Uh, everyone knows I'm a Hawks Bay guy through and through, but uh, they did what they had to do. Uh, it wasn't the greatest game of rugby. It wasn't a high-scoring one. In fact, only one try in 80 minutes of rugby, Jeff, is a, a rarity these days with the modern game. But they just did need what they needed to do. Yeah, I thought TJ Perinata 
you know, led really well. And, and often people talk, Smithy, about the lack of All Blacks in this competition. But, uh, you know, when you've got the likes of TJ, you know, Julian Savia, you know, and, and the experience he's had at test level, I think that really, you know, came to the fore for them. I think he had a really good game. Um, and, you know, you look at the likes of you know, Peter Luckeyes or Aidan Morgan, I don't know, he missed that one at the end, but to give uh, Hawks Bay a chance. But, I mean, it's probably the thing that's been the hallmark of the Hawks Bay game that, that, um, that alluded them. And I, I, I know when they went for that, that line out at the end, I thought, Oh, can, can they get it a third time? And I was, you know, from from uh, from the neutral on the fence, being an Otago uh, boy myself, I kind of was hoping that they'd, they'd wrap that one up and set the drive, but just a bridge too far. And, and as I say, on, on a part of the game that you would have seen over the years that it just worked wonders. Yeah, absolutely right. And it was quite ironical, actually. They went they went to what they knew best, but Wellington uh, countered it quite beautifully. So, yeah, well done to Wellington, uh, which gives them uh, an opportunity to defend first up against Waikato, um, who will be, I think, stinging a little bit. Ross Filippo and his lads uh, will have gone to Otago with high hopes. Uh, and they were dashed 27-20. Um, but I, I, I've got to ask you this question. And, and uh, you know, what about Damien McKenzie and his form? Uh, coming back from Japan in this this particular uh, NPC competition. I mean, if the All Blacks are to make changes or anyone comes into the squad from outside, is his name on that list, surely? Well, I've heard through the grapevine that he's he's, he's likely to be included in that end-of-year tour. Um, but in answer to your question in terms of his form, look, he's been... He's been really good in patches this year for Waikato. So I think I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago, and I, and I asked them that question. I said, "What do you think of of Damien McKenzie's form?" And they said, "Well, he's he's still sort of in that Japanese mode. You know, he, he'd been playing playing a certain style of rugby over in Japan, the Suntory um, in League One, and and to come back and and uh, be thrust back into a slightly different brand of NPC. Um, it's just going to take anyone, you know, isn't it? Smithy time to find their feet again, mm. but." He's, he's a classy player. He, he, he scored an excellent try yesterday. I thought um, his line off uh, the midfield uh, play from Waikato and Balan Sullivan and, and um, D'Angelo Luila was, was excellent. He's, he's never going to lose that touch, um, is he? I, I just think it's that time and, and set of it. Again, it's, you've put a player like Damien McKenzie back in an all-black frame in an all-black environment. Very, very quickly, um, he's going to return to... To that level, we know he's capable of. But it's very interesting because you look at um, you look at the final match of the rugby championship uh, coming up this weekend, and God, I mean, all four teams are still a chance of winning, even the Wallabies, believe it or not. But um, you just where do you where do you fit him in? Because if you've got um, if you've got Geordie Barrett and uh, Richie Maunga and Bowden Barrett and your All Blacks twenty three, uh, is Damien a travelling squad member, or do you just play him play him early doors? Um, uh, in some of those earlier test matches on the Northern Tour, and then you look ahead to the World Cup. So you're very interesting. Where do you put him? And obviously, you might want to talk in this in this chat about the the Geordie Barrett situation as well. Once we rip through mm. some of the NPC. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I will come to uh, to the All Black changes or prospective changes for this this weekend. But that you're right about Otago giving themselves a lifeline, uh, and that was a, a really uh, good performance to knock over Waikato. And that, in effect, in the odds uh, conference as we sit now, uh, that leaves them just outside the top four. But there's an intriguing clash this week where uh, Bay of Plenty play Hawks Bay. Now, if Bay of Plenty knock over Hawks Bay at home then that gives Otago a real chance, uh, and uh, they're playing Manawatu, 
They're playing Manawatu, who have uh, not uh, yet won a game. Otago mm. to romp over the top of Hawke's Bay. This is intriguing, this odds conference. It is, it is. And if you think about, um, if you think about Otago travelling up to Manawatu, uh, who, you know, weren't far away against Taranaki, um, we can look at that one as well, I think they've fancied themselves a real, a real chance there. They, they need a good five points. It's such a log jam there at the moment. And the odds we say Bay of Plenty 27, Hawks Bay 25, Otago 21. Um, you can throw a blanket over there. I mean, any of those teams could, could put pressure on Wellington and um, probably not Wakato, but certainly on that top two sort of scenario for a favoured position in the run-in in the quarterfinals. But um, it, it's so important uh, that Otago head up to Palmerston North and, and get five points uh, for their season. But as you say, the Battle of the Bays, in, uh, in the context of the season and how things play out is going to be huge. And you just wonder what sort of Hawks Bay team uh, will, will turn up. Um, potentially, mate, now that the shield is gone, um, there might be a bit of a pressure valve release because you can only imagine what it was like after those 13 or 14 defences um, having to look at your team sheet uh, every couple of weeks. And um, if you if Peter Russell go, well, how are we going to play this? What team are we going to run out? We've got a shield challenge in a fortnight. So I think maybe with the pressure release, um, that might actually aid the Magpies in, in, that, uh, in that challenge. Interesting clash in the evens. Uh, we, as we sit at this stage, Canterbury 36, Auckland 25, North Harbour 22. Then fourth and fifth is interesting. We've got an underperforming Tasman side by their own standards. Up against a, a Northland side, they're a point apart, 1918. Northland, though, have a game in hand. Uh, so this is an interesting clash, and that is, uh, of course, uh, Tasman and Northland, uh, first game on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, well, Tasman, um, Tasman made it hard for Auckland. Like, that, was a, that was a gritty one for Auckland, and they needed that. I thought um, Adrian Choate and Blake Gibson were outstanding. They meant to the breakdown. They stole plenty of pill. Harry Plummer, um, he guided them well. You know, Ray Arcee Lamb, when you've got players like that... Um, in flow, very, very difficult to stop. Tasman, William Harville's had a pretty good year, I think. He's, um, he's been fairly assured, um, trying to run things from, from 10. I like the threat of Tomasi Alosil at the back, and I think, I just wonder whether Levi Amour Smithy went a wee bit missing, like, we know how good he is, um, and I think you just want to see more from, from him in terms of his consistency over an 80-minute period, like, in that second half, they probably needed more from him in his power game and his running game. But as you say, they're stuck in a log jam. And then you look at Northland um, and, and the way they played against Harbour. I mean, Sean Stevenson, is, he's having a bit of a purple, <laughs> going through a bit of a purple patch this season. He scored three tries. And uh, again, they're a side, Daniel Hellengo's side, who, who are, are well balanced. You know, you look at, you're centred around a good 10 who's kicking well at the moment and Bryn Gatlin. Uh, and you look at the, the impact off their bench and the likes of, um, you know, Jamie Booth, uh, Sewer Four and, 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 and the like, and, and you throw a couple of guys in Tavita Lee and Mark Talia there. Um, they're excellent. But I think Northland in that game perhaps went away from the reason they've been playing some good code this year. Is they, they probably adopted too much of a kicking game. I know they adjusted that in the second half, but at that point in time, the horse had kind of bolted already. So, um, no, it's fascinating. And, and you throw Taranaki in there, and as I said at the very start of the chat, like, Goldie said the other day we were doing a call um, Tasman Taranaki and, and he said a couple of times during the during the commentary that he just felt Taranaki were a team that had lost their confidence. You know, um, had such a wonderful season last year 
and sort of made a mockery mm. of the two-tier system because they were playing so well. But uh, I think they showed glimpses against Manawatu, the likes of Kenny Naholo, you know, just starting to really dominate the game and, and, and take it by the scruff of the neck, Tikwa Solomone and so on and so forth. So, um, again, a team that have been lacking confidence, but that's the exciting part this time of the season. Um, it's, it's all or nothing. So you're going to start to see those game breakers, those match winners step forward and, and, uh, and put on some good rugby. Canterbury-Auckland uh, Friday night, one of the great traditional games, of course, at this stage. Canterbury very dominant in the evens uh, competition here. Uh, what are you expecting uh, out of Auckland for this one? Yeah, again, I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be a case of kind of which which sort of Canterbury side can can turn up. I mean, they it was a bit of an old fashioned shootout with counties um, in the weekend. I mean, Canterbury again, like Auckland, were with Tasman, were really made to work for that, and um, counties picked up a couple of bonus points in the end, but. Um, like Auckland, I, I, I like the half pairing they've got. I think Drummond and Burke are working really well. You know, and, and again with the threats they have, the Punivai brothers. You can't beat, you know, you can't beat a hard-working player. And I think Billy Harmon kind of epitomises, you know, that that role of someone who, you know, often often does the bulk of the no frills stuff, Smithy. But he has moments of brilliance. We know how good he can roam with ball in hand. He's a very good link player. Um, but also, as I said, regarding like Wellington, and, and you look at the players that have come back and you know um, from overseas, and and, uh, and and players that just have missed out and, and come back from injury and so forth. When you can roll out Owen Franks, when you can mm-hmm. roll out Owen Franks on the end of a, a Canterbury front row, like it's uh, you know he's, he he still has ambitions, doesn't he? And and I think um, he's been such a rock, and and I think that's a real weapon of theirs. Um, Tom Christie too. I mean, it's just. Super Rugby Central, so that's going to be one heck of a game, and and um, I'm really, really looking forward to it. I, I can't pick it actually; I think it'll be so close. I, I look uh, at the other game this weekend, which I think uh, deserves a bit of a preview. Uh, it is the Shield Challenge. It is Wellington against uh, Waikato. You saw Waikato yesterday. What would you be expecting from them? And uh, I've got a feeling there's a player uh, amongst the all Bla- uh, the Wellington ranks there who may be knocking down a door or two. He's been a, an All Black in the past. But with uh, the, the threat of uh, changes at the end of uh, the rugby championship, uh, Asafa Omua, who was very, very good at the weekend, surely is putting his name very close again to the mix. Oh, he's absolutely brilliant, mate. He's he's outstanding. And when you look at Samasoni Tokiaho and, and the way he's playing for the All Blacks um, and, and sort of what they're wanting out of that role, it, it's kind of changing. It, it's remarkable to think we're having this conversation, you know, 12 months after... You'd be saying, you know, Cody Taylor was was uh, was a shoe in for that um, for that All Black starting hooker spot um, with, with Dane right there as well. But um, the game has changed. Um, we we need that power direct game. We seem to be having a different conversation every few years with the cycle in terms of how we we want to play our opposition. But um, he's taken that game to a new level, and um, and I think, as you say, Asafa more. He's had a taste before. He's played a few Test matches. Um, he, he's a he's a very uh, he's out of the same mould as as Samasoni. I guess the question is from a from an All Black coaching perspective and a balance perspective. Um, do you want kind of two of the same um, in a in a twenty three or indeed in a squad? Do you want some sort of a balance? So um, that was, I think Xavier Numier has been playing some fantastic rugby. Um, and and as I say, if you look at if you look at some of the, 
the, the wily old dogs in their team, like Dominic Bird, again, a, a player that returned um, and just such a massive frame, so experienced, has played for the All Blacks. Um, you know, I, I think that'll be vital. Pedernata again, Julian Savia, and Ruben Love at the back. Let's not forget, you've got Ruben Love back there. And, and what a great ride for him. I mean, he's got all of this experience in front of him and the way Julian's playing and, and Umanga Jensen and Proctor in midfield, and you have him. You have this young guy at the back going, you know, I've got all this test experience and these wonderful international players around me. He can really just inject himself into the game. So um, it's going to be one hell of a contest. I, I asked a question yesterday of a couple of people when I left Forsyth Bar Stadium who they thought, thought would win the, win the challenge. And, and they all sort of thought maybe uh, maybe Waikato would, would steal it. But, um, I mean, Waikato has been playing some, some good footy. I mean, it didn't quite get it done on the weekend in, in Storm Week, but I thought Balin Sullivan was... Uh, was excellent. Talk about players for the future. This player, Kemeda, uh, out of Hamilton Boys High School, I don't know much you've kept an eye on him, Smithy, but he um, he played some wonderful rugby uh, the other night in, in Hamilton against uh, Southland. And, and again, like it's hard to believe the way he played in the weekend as well. Just some nice touches. And as, as you know, all the good players seem to have time. So um, it, it'll be a fascinating shield challenge. But as you say, Al Moore, I think, is going to have an impact. And um, on the Waikato side of things, I think keep an eye out for Taha Kemera to, to have some sort of an injection as well. Uh, just finally, Jeff, uh, what about the 12 jersey this weekend? The to, uh, Roger Tuovasashek, <laughs> does he now, after all his apprenticeship, deserve a crack or do they give it to perhaps Geordie Barrett? OK, here's my stance on it, right? You're running out of time to have a look at Roger. You really are. There's, if, if you don't give Roger a proper crack this weekend then um, about to go on the Northern Tour. They know what Geordie Barrett's about, having played 12 for the Hurricanes in Super Rugby. I think if I think if you really want to see what a player can do in the black jersey, you need to give them time. Um, as I say, if Geordie's also going to be your starting fullback for the All Blacks, then um, why not give Roger a crack? Um, as I say, if, if it's just a cover, uh, if you just want to look at how Geordie covers um, in Test Rugby, then... Yeah, I kind of get that, but I think actually there's more of an opportunity to go. He's come over from rugby league. He's been the talk of the town. Um, yeah, maybe he's got a couple of frailties and a few rough edges. All the all the best players that have come across had. Like if you look back at Sonny Bill Williams when he came across um, to the All Blacks, it, it, he would himself, I'm sure, say there was plenty he had to work on and, and, and bring into his game, and he did. And he became a fantastic number twelve with his own. Um, his, his own uh, skill set, um, which which we hadn't really seen in the jersey. So I think you give Roger a go. And as I say, particularly if um, if Geordie is your uh, incumbent fullback for the All Blacks. Jeff McTainch, uh, always a pleasure catching up. Uh, thanks for that wrap-up uh, of the NPC. Look forward to all the rugby this weekend. It's going to be a real beauty, I feel. Jeff, thank you. Good on you, mate. Talk soon. Cheers. Uh, we'll be back very shortly here on SCNZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. We're going to be talking to uh, Christy Doran of uh, Out of Australia. He wrote an article about uh, the, uh, I guess, the aftermath and uh, Nigel Owen's comments uh, regarding the refereeing decision the other night and other aspects of refereeing and officiating, uh, officiating as well. So we'll be talking to Christy very shortly. But in the meantime, uh, it's time to uh, catch up with the latest news here with Araha.
Well, the fallout of uh, Bledisloe 1 continues across the, the Tasman with uh, Rugby Australia serving a plea to explain notice to World Rugby following the actions of French referee Mathieu Renal that uh, Wallabies halfback Nick White says cost them the rugby championship. With us now is uh, Fox Sports rugby reporter Christy Doran who had an exclusive interview with a name that we all know very well, Nigel Owens, uh, firmly regarded as the boss, the doyen of the referees, even though he has hung up his whistle as such. Good morning to you, Christy Doran. Great to join you, man. Yeah, mate. Hey, look, before we get into Nigel's uh, comments uh, as such, uh, with the weekend behind us, in fact, last Thursday, so it seems like an eternity ago, uh, are rugby fans over it? Are they still fuming, do you feel? Oh, you can you can tell that this weekend's game at Eden Park. Yes, the Bledisloe Cup is gone for another year, but I feel like there's just going to be a little bit at stake uh, when when the two teams clash. Look, absolutely, the fallout's still going on, and and right throughout the newspapers here, and there's only a handful of them. But look, people are livid, and you can see that on social media with all the response, and and you've got a lot of non-traditional rugby fans that are even talking about it. It's a huge incident. Always a spicy kind of clash between these two trans Tasman neighbours, but uh, a lot at stake this weekend. Audio has been re- released, uh, Christy, uh, online where you can clearly hear the conversation between Nick White and uh, Mathieu Reynal after the decision to award the All Blacks a scrum. Uh, in your discussions with Nigel Owens, what did he think of the way that situation played out? Yeah, it was, it was an interesting one because I spoke to Nigel and I don't think he actually watched the entire game, but he did know the two, two kind of controversial incidents throughout the game. And one was with Darcy Swain where he got yellow card and some subsequently been cited. Uh, and he had a um, an interesting take at that. And he very much thought that he, he would have probably red carded that one there, but could see it from both sides of the coin. And, and once again, here, right in the... 79th, 80th minute, the, the incident that transpires with Bernard Foley and, and he wouldn't have refereed in that kind of method. He, in a European Champions final match, had added on time, added on another 20 seconds and one of the difficulties with that, he said afterwards, was that the stadium clock hadn't updated. So those that were on the field were left a little bit confused. However, the TV was up to date with his timing and he was very much clear that more time had been added on. That's what he would have done. I don't think that Nigel Owens the way that he refereed a game he, you could hear him more than anyone probably more than Aaron Smith I'd imagine or a TJ Perinara <laughs> but he would have been very clear with his communication and said use it or I'll blow a, you know, a scrum feed to New Zealand that that didn't happen on, on Thursday night did it? It was very much a use it with no consequence. And maybe that doesn't need to be pointed out, but for something that has never been done before, I, I think you should. So, look, Nigel said it was strong refereeing, which contrasts Tim Horan, who had said that it was a disgraceful call and that he had, um, in the heat of the moment, had come up with the wrong decision. So, Christy, uh, this, uh, uh, this Please Explain notice is uh, official. What do you think Rugby yeah. Australia hope to, to get out of this? 
It's a good question. In reality, nothing's going to come from this. They'll get an apology at, at the very most. And what's an apology going to do when you've had 20 years of disappointment regarding Bledisloe defeat? And um, what Rugby Australia actually wants is is not so much of uh, right now, you know, an immediate kind of punishment, the the, the referee being stood down. They, you know, Rugby Australia, and to be fair to New Zealand rugby too, want areas of the game sped up. Want to make sure that the game is as accessible and as watchable for the watching public as possible. And and perhaps up in the northern hemisphere, there's not that quite that same um, desire to have scrums sped up and to have uh, you know box kicks that don't take ten seconds. <clears throat> they want the overall game a better watching product because in Australia it's competitive, as we all know, between the three or four different winter sporting codes. So. It's a longer belief, um, a longer held desire to fix the game. And, and speaking to Rugby Australia officials yesterday, you know, it's not just one moment where where the nation wants um, an area fixed. It's ten to fifteen years of where in Australia TV audiences have gone down. Um, and so I think it's a longer term play. And they, I think, would want this subject to go away because their relationships with world rugby have been much better in recent times. Um, so I think that they would want to get this, this nipped in the bud. Christy, when, you know, in the history of, of watching rugby and uh, doing a bit of commentating on rugby, there's always been this, uh, this, this sort of theory, I, I don't know how official it is, but the referee is still the sole judge of time. Is that, is that now no longer the case? I mean, is he so severely governed by uh, the, the, the hooter at the end? Can he not say, listen, I'm going to add 20 seconds on because of what I've just seen? Is he no longer that judge of time? Well, you wouldn't think so with the team, knowing the amount of involvement that they have now. Look, we all know that there's a, there's a strong push from world rugby that you've got to dot your I's, cross the T's, and unless you're going to do that, you might not get a, a World Cup final. Well, but what do you think, Ian? You've been commentating on the game for a long, long time. Yeah, I think, you know, I think if we went back to last Thursday night and had a selection of 10 international referees, um, you might get six, seven, even eight of them and handle that situation entirely differently. That's what I think, Christy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and absolutely spot on. And that's what everyone just wants is consistency. And unfortunately, I think because the rugby is so littered and grey that players play on the edge, and Richie McCall was the master of that for 15 years, that it's 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 very difficult to have a black and white ruling about a lot of things. I just think that when it comes down to that particular decision, that is not a on-field related decision where you where you're making a judgment at a breakdown or a or a forward pass, or is, is the ball grounded or not. That one, to me, I think should be a pretty black and white thing where you can spell it out clearly. Unfortunately, maybe there is an element of cultural difficulties there that have changed and the language barriers, but you've got to say to Raynor there that he did say use it, but now there needs to be more of an interpretation and World Rugby should come out and go, look, we're actually now going to come out hard on time delaying and time wasting and that might be for a decision like what we saw on the weekend on Thursday or it might be at the back of a caterpillar arc that goes for eight or nine seconds that it isn't used or indeed at a scrum where the scrum half doesn't put the ball in in time and we see another scrum collapse. Mm. 
Okay, um, the other thing about uh, the article you wrote, Nigel Owens was was very um, interesting on his comments about the, the TMO and the fact he's becoming way too dominant in the game. Yeah, indeed. And he... I, I was somewhat surprised to hear him so strongly against this because you know, all, all modern-day referees do rely on their TMOs a lot. But he, he quite frankly just said that since the TMO has had more of an influence that on-field referees have become sloppy, they've become complacent because whether or not they want subconsciously or consciously, they rely and fall back on that and that shouldn't occur. He also said that, you know, Anyone looking for the perfect game in rugby, whether it be a, a coach, a, a player, or a referee, it's not going to happen. Um, and and said that they need to stop looking for the perfect game in rugby, that mistakes will happen. And I think that goes hand in hand with the TMO because, as we all know, if you want to find a penalty, you probably can in every second ruck. Uh, and unfortunately, the more that referees are nitpicking around those sorts of areas of the game it's going to be more stop start he he referred a refer um, a decision where over the last you know, 15 years you've gone from 16 17 penalties a game up to 26 on average now in a test match do we want the referee to be continually um, blowing his whistle and stopping player i don't think so and i don't know a single coach or player that wants that to occur so uh, he was pretty strong on that and, and said, look, World Rugby, you've got to do something about this because it's not becoming enjoyable for the for the watching public. How do you feel now um, on the back of the hurt that they feel both as a rugby um, audience but also in particular, uh, let's look at the Wallaby squad itself. How do you think they're going to rebound for that from that particular finish this weekend at Eden Park? Yeah, it's a good question. And consistency has been something that the Wallabies have had nothing of for a long, long time. Um, we saw last year the Wallabies win five games together after losing three straight in the Bledisloe. That was the first time in, in six years since the 2015 World Cup where they'd been able to string five games together. So if they're going to have any chance in next year's World Cup, they've got to be able to deal with setbacks, and, and that's something that New Zealand have always been good at. I, I think this game is more crucial than the one that's just transpired because it will show the mental fortitude of these guys. Um, there's a lot of talent in this Australian squad, and, and that match there was taking place without Quade Cooper, without Simon Karevi, without Michael Hooper. Um, Taniela Tufo so to have pushed New Zealand as far as they did they've, uh, that was an admirable performance but they've got to back it up and oh, look it's been 1986 the last time that Australia won Eden Park it's a long long time I don't think anyone's expecting them to go out to win but at the very least you need to see a match where it goes down to the wire and we saw on the weekend Bernard Foley had a great return. It's another opportunity for him. I would suggest he'd be wearing the number 10 jersey again for him to go out to, to dominate that position. And, and if he can do that, then, wow, Dave Rennie's going to have some serious selection headaches in the, in the next year to come. But it's a huge, huge game. And I think it's a big game for New Zealand too because, let's be honest, they were pretty poor either side of the halftime. They've blown three tries um, there. Um, the leadership perhaps didn't quite shine through until that last minute where you see Sam Whitelock, where you see Dane Coles, where you see those guys wanting the ball and wanting to be able to score in that sort of situation. So 
that's a tick for New Zealand at the end, but there's a lot of crosses right throughout that. And I think you saw the tensions of it all with Ian Foster at the end in terms of his disingenuous comments regarding the whole event. Um, that there's a lot of tension still, obviously, on the other side of the ditch, your side of the ditch. Christy, uh, pleasure catching up with you and for your thoughts um, and analysis on uh, what unfolded last week. Uh, we look forward to a, a really cool and even encounter this week at Eden Park as well. Uh, really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Great to join us, Eddie. Cheers. Yeah, cheers, uh, Christy Doran there. Um, of course, from uh, Fox point of view, uh, he is their uh, rugby writer, senior rugby writer, and uh, with some fairly honest thoughts there. Uh, yeah, I, I look forward to uh, this Saturday night. I, I just wonder whether Dave Rennie can uh, produce um, a side that believes that they believe um, in out of last week you've, you've got to think that they believe they can beat the All Blacks it's just that Eden Park factor um, that of course is going to be immense to overcome 9.45 here on SENZ Smithy's Cricket Update thanks to Razine New Zealand's most trusted paint brand well, the Mumbai Indians have announced that former New Zealand fast bowler Shane Bond has been named the head coach of the Mumbai Indians Emirates team in the United Arab Emirates-based International League T20 competition. Uh, Bondi, who is uh, also Mumbai Indians bowling coach in the IPL, will be assisted by batting coach Patif Patel, bowling coach Vinay Kumam, and fielding coach, New Zealand's James Franklin. It's always uh, exciting to build a new team, and I'm looking forward to furthering the MI uh, legacy and inspiring our players to take the game to new heights. Biden said in a statement, the six-team ILT20, which launches in January, will be the second most lucrative 2020 tournament after the trend-setting IPL in terms of player remuneration. The tournament will be played in the same January-February 2023 window as the South African 20 League in South Africa that required the Mumbai Indians group to appoint multiple coaching teams since they have teams in both of those competitions. Mark Boucher, who will step down from his position as the head coach of South Africa's national men's team at the end of the team's campaign in the upcoming T20 World Cup in Australia, has been signed up to be the head coach of the Mumbai Indians in the IPL the position opened up after Mahela Jayawardena, the Mumbai Indians head coach in 2017, was elevated to a more global role within the Mumbai Indians group. Jayawardena has been the main, he uh, made the group's global, global head of uh, performance. He will be overseeing the scouting and coaching of all three teams that the owners have at the IPL, the ILT20, and the SA20. Bond has been part of the coaching setup of several teams in the past. Apart from being New Zealand bowling coach, of course, and part of the team's backroom staff at various stages, he's always been the, also been the head coach at the uh, Sydney Thunder in the BBL position he held between 2018 and 2021. He has also been part of the England team as well as a bowling consultant in the past. Shane Bond, a highly, highly sought after commodity in terms of the IPL. Wouldn't that, we're going to stay on the cricket theme after 10 o'clock as well. We're going to head to the Caribbean, to Antigua, and talk to uh, New Zealand White Ferns batting coach Sarah McGlashan herself, of course a former terrific batter in the women's game. It's uh, 9.54 here on SENZ. We'll have a multi before 10 o'clock. This is the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up, know when to fold up.
Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, my weekend multi went west very quickly, didn't it? Because uh, Hawke's Bay did not defend the Ranfurly Shield. So uh, that was uh, it done and dusted fairly early on in the piece. So early in the week, we generally rely on uh, quite a lot of uh, American sport uh, to fill up uh, the content of our multi, and that is uh, no exception today. We've got the Green Bay Packers minus 10.5 to beat the Chicago Bears. So that's a 10.5-point start the Bears have got. I think the Packers will overcome that. And that's at $1.87. Uh, in the MLB, the Dodgers uh, are playing against the San Francisco Giants. The Dodgers' uh, favourites to win at $1.53 will take that. And tomorrow, um, a belated start to the White Ferns Tour against the West Indies. They're playing all eight games at the same ground, the Civilian Richards uh, Stadium in Antigua. And I think the White Ferns at this point are deserved favourites. The West Indies looking to rebuild. Uh, $1.28 that one, so $3.66, $3.66 for that return to start uh, the weekend in a positive fashion. And on that subject, of course, uh, we shall be talking to uh, the White Ferns batting coach, Sarah McGlashan, uh, very shortly um, on Game 1 against uh, the girls from the Caribbean, or should I say the ladies from the Caribbean. So girls, you get in trouble. Uh, here's a lady. Uh, it's Araha. 14.76 a.m. in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for sport. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, from tomorrow at uh, 1.30 a.m. New Zealand time. Gosh, that's an early get-up, isn't it? Uh, the White Ferns will square off against the West Indies in Antigua for a series of three one-day internationals plus five T20s. The start of the series was pushed back as Tropical Storm Fiona hit the island over the weekend. The last time New Zealand, uh, the last time New Zealand played the West Indies, they won by three runs in that uh, World Cup thriller. Remember, it was the the World Cup opener at uh, Bay Oval in March. But since then, the White Ferns won a bronze at the Commonwealth Games. Are looking to build upon that with this current uh, tour to the Caribbean and their new squad members. And joining us here on SENZ in the mornings is White Ferns batting coach uh, Sarah McGlashan, all the way from Antigua. Uh, good morning to you, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Thanks for having me. Hey, look, uh, man, you've survived, a st- you've survived a tropical storm. We don't uh, get many of those in New Zealand, thank God. Tell us a wee bit about the impact of it. Yeah, we, um, we were pretty lucky, I think, and... We sort of only just ventured out today for the first time in three days. Um, so we were sort of, I guess, isolated here at the resort. Um, it's probably the only one downside of staying at a resort is when a tropical storm hits. But um, no, thankfully, it was just pretty much a lot of rain, um, but not actually too much, too many strong winds. So, yeah, very thankful. Aside from that um, and uh, being locked up, basically, for uh, that period of time, how has the team acclimatised to Antigua? For many of them, I would imagine it's their first venture there. Yeah, I think for a good half of the group it is. Um, So in a way, I think having those extra few days wasn't actually the worst thing. We got a few good trainings in um, not long after we got here. Um, But, yeah, it's just given the the girls a little bit more time to sort of get used to the time zone after um, a pretty decent amount of travel. Right, let's uh, look at uh, the particular venue. Um, Eight matches all in Antigua. So what are you expecting from uh, pitch conditions from beginning to end, say? Yeah, I think um, 
you know, it's definitely something we're only possibly looking at um, two wickets as well, they've told us. So, um, yeah, I think from a batting point of view and bowling as well, you know, we expect them to, to get lower and slower and a bit more turn as time goes on. Um, but we had a had a good hit on the centre wicket um, when we first got here and it played quite nice. So, yeah, I think it's just one of those things where you expect conditions to change, but it's just playing what's in front of you um, game by game. Three one days and five T twenties in a pretty short space of time would imagine. I would imagine that gives you an opportunity to to look at pretty much all of your squad and, and pressure situations. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, I think that's the thing with the with the um, later start that it is pretty compact now. Um, but that's I think for us that's what these tours are, are about. It's making sure that we use the whole squad and and get a chance to see everyone and sort of see where our depth's at. So yeah, no, it'd be very good. Okay, so Ben Sawyer, the head coach, came into the White Ferns um, and, of course, his first role basically was the Commonwealth Games. Is everyone sort of getting used to the Ben Sawyer way of doing things now, his influence on the side? Yeah, they are. I think, you know, that's a good thing with something like a Commonwealth Games to get straight into it. Um, You know, you've got different plans every single game because you're playing a different team. Um, So this is a good chance to sort of settle in by playing the same team. Um, And it also has his first hit out with um, the ODI side of things. So, yeah, everyone's looking forward to it. Right. Well, you're the batting coach, so um, you've got to be in charge of uh, getting the runs in the bank as such, uh, Sarah. So uh, what is uh, going to be your primary focus on this tour? We know the the quality of the players at the top of the order, the experience that we've got there. Uh, What is your focus in particular if you come away from the Caribbean? What would you like to see? I think for us, we've just spoken about playing the conditions. Um, I know that's probably a little bit cliche, but I think that's the main thing. It's sort of, it's going in game one really positive and then just looking to adapt um, as the wickets get older and slower um, if they do that. So, yeah, just basically it's the same situation. Um, just making sure that we're, we're taking the learnings from each game, um, good and bad, so to speak. Sarah, uh, we know, as I said, we know the quality uh, at the top. Well, we've got Susie Bates, we've got Sophie Devine, we've got Millie Kerr. Um, but then, of course, um, we find that if, if it doesn't always work out to plan with those players, we need to have experience, some experienced player developing behind that scene. Are you confident that you've got um, the players uh, that we can rely on going forward in that regard? Yeah, I think having Lauren Downcombe, and um, after her injury um, in a successful Indian series um, is really exciting um, for her and for that middle order as well. Uh, you know, she put her hand up the back end of the Indian series and have been batting through the innings and seen them, seen them through. So I think, you know, she'll play a really key role here. Um, and, yeah, we, we will be asking, I guess, the middle order to step up, um, especially without Amy involved. Um, so, yeah, plenty of cricket for someone to um, put their hand up. Oh, the Amy Satterthwaite, I um, mean, she retired, obviously. Is there, has there been any communication? Is there any any hint that, uh, along with uh, her wife, Leah Tahuhu, that she may still have a bit of an appetite for the game? Um, well, she's still, I guess, she's still playing um, domestically, um, which is really exciting. Um, I think she's just uh, been announced as an assistant coach coach with the strikers um so for her that's really exciting as well um so yeah i guess um you know when people retire i don't see it as a permanent thing um but that wouldn't yeah that's entirely up to her
Who are the young players that, that we need to look to here um, in terms of their development for the future? Who, who, are, the, who are the ones that are um, attracting your attention in that regard outside the Lauren Downs, outside the, the top order as we've talked about? Um, from a batting point of view or just in general? Yes, yes, specifically from a batting point of view. Yeah, I think someone like Lauren, um, in my mind, is still young from a cricket point of view um, in terms of the sort of opportunities that she's had. So um, I think she's definitely one. And like I sort of said that, you know, it was exciting for her to do well in the Indian series and just really disappointing that that injury happened at the time that it did. Um, so she's definitely one. Um, and then we've also got the likes of um, Georgia Plimmer, who is, is young. She's only 18. Um, but I think especially in the T20 format, she's a really exciting batter. Um, the good thing about, you know, the younger the players are and, um, you know, they just take the game on that they see in front of them. Um, and she definitely does that. Uh, Sophie Devine and Susie Bates, Mealy Kira, are they big contributors as well behind the scenes to these young players? Yeah, they are. And I think even more so now with the amount of franchise cricket that they're playing, um, you know, they're exposed to different coaching environments, exposed to different teams and conditions. Um, and I guess that's what I'm encouraging them to do as well, is to just have those casual conversations with that younger group or with that middle order Um yeah, and just pass on as much knowledge as they can. In terms of uh, the opposition, uh, the West Indies, of course, uh, our last meeting with the West Indies did not go so well as such at uh, Bay Oval in uh, Game 1 of the World Cup. I imagine some of the players are still uh, smarting from that because in the end that result was very crucial. Yeah, I think there's a few, and I guess that sort of post that World Cup cycle, that's the exciting thing as well, is that we have a lot of new players um, that weren't involved in that at all as well. So um, possibly the retirement of Deandra Dotton might have um, helped a few of those older players move on from that. Um, but, yeah, just, yeah, I guess you can't look too far in the past with that. They've had a change of uh, leadership. They've gone to uh, Hayley Matthews, a very talented all-rounder, as... Um, and that that is a, a change for them. What are you expecting from the West Indies at home? I think they've got a um, a good reputation for being quite a hard team to play at home. Um, and the likes of sort of Hayley Matthews, Stefani Taylor, um, you know, they're really experienced, um, world class players. Um, so, yeah, we'll be ready ready for the challenge, knowing that it certainly will be one, um, especially in their own conditions. What kind of bowling do you think will prosper um, as the series wears on? You mentioned just the two uh, perhaps, uh, pitches perhaps available to you over the course of the eight games. Do you, Because of that and the tradition of pitches wearing, do you think it might be a situation where the quicker bowlers perhaps early on and then um, all on for the spinners? Yeah, I think even almost from game one, um, based on our time in this, um, batting on the centre wicket um, and it was already turning a decent amount so yeah I think it's certainly an exciting one for the spinners um, and we have um, a spin bowling specialist Craig Howard here um, as an assistant coach um, and I know the young spinners are absolutely loving having him here so yeah between the coaching expertise with the spin and the conditions to add to it I think it's definitely a tour that you know they can't wait to get stuck into. Sarah, you had a great career yourself. You played over uh, 130 games, uh, one-day internationals, 70-plus T20s. Um, I, I would, the game has changed, evolved a hell of a lot since your playing time, in it. 
Um, how different is it now for these younger players uh, coming in as such in a, in a sort of a professional type environment? I mean, 18, 19-year-old youngsters uh, getting paid to play the game. Yeah, oh, it's, it's very exciting for them. Um, at the same time, the fact I'm talking to you, I think, is one thing. So the fact, you know, that there is a lot of media around the game now, um, and that's probably the one thing in terms of the young players coming is you just want to make sure they have the right support around them um, with social media, radio, newspaper. Um, yeah, there's plenty of, plenty of, well, I guess a spotlight on the team um, now which is it's great for the game, um, but it's just making sure, you know, those younger players or new players are well-supported at the same time. But, yeah, the fact yeah. that these players can be full-time athletes is so exciting. Well, you're right. You raise a good point because it's a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it? I mean, you want the exposure. Uh, you want their names to be up in lights. You want to see them um, perform in front of good ratings and, and good crowds, etc. But uh, with that, of course comes the uh, the air of expectation and the prospect of success and failure. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, I was lucky enough to stay on for a couple of weeks um, with the Birmingham Phoenix after the Com Games. And, you know, that's their domestic T20 competition and every game had sort of 15,000, 20,000 people watching it. So they're good young domestic players. That's what they're exposed to already. Um so, you know, that's sort of what we're chasing um, from a New Zealand cricket point of view in terms of what we can provide our, well, I guess, the opportunities we can give our players. Well, those opportunities come for coaches as well, Sarah. And uh, as you said, you've just spent some time um, in women's domestic cricket in England as well. Uh, I, I just wonder, um, you know, how much of, how full of time are you on the road now? How, how, how does your year look in terms of um, coaching? Um, yeah, on the road a little bit at the moment. Um, New Zealand cricket, I think, have just locked in um, the assistant coaches. So I guess I'm a little bit more of an interim coach at the moment um, in terms of being involved with the White Ferns. Um, so, yeah, main job is the pathway, which is sort of your under-19s and development. Um, so, yeah, it's a busy it's a busy summer, but, um, you know, I'd certainly rather be out on the road and amongst trainings and games than um, sitting behind the laptop. So I'm very happy. So, Sarah, uh, with the growing profile of, of the sport in this country, of course, on the back of the World Cup, how do our numbers look? How does our future look in that pathway process that you're part of? Yeah, I think numbers, as far as I'm aware, they probably haven't actually changed too much. Um, what is improving is sort of the structures and the MAs and full-time um, domestic coaches in the women's space. Um, you know, from a New Zealand cricket point of view, we, um, you know, we've lacked a pathway um, in terms of opportunities for sort of your New Zealand Day or your um, emerging group for quite, you know, a good number of years now. Um, so I think that's the main thing is that how can we create opportunities for that group so that, you know, they've had a bit of the touring life um, and they've played some sort of more pressure situations before they actually step into the White Ferns environment. Um, just finally, Sarah, um, in terms of the weather, etc., has the the bad stuff gone? Are we looking now at uh, some consistent weather for this series, uh, looking to start tomorrow? Yeah, it looks that way at this stage. Um, it sort of felt like, well, it feels like it's rained for about the last 36 hours, um, but today's been pretty good. Um, I think yeah, for tomorrow, it looks like the hot stuff's back, so yeah.
should be all good to play cricket, hopefully. Cool. Look forward to it and look forward to uh, the performance of your White Ferns and particularly uh, your White Ferns batters across the board. Uh, all the best for the series. Uh, thanks for your time um, and uh, we'll enjoy looking on. Awesome. Cheers for your support, Smithy. See ya. Yeah, thank you. Sarah McGlashan there, of course, uh, wonderful cricketer in her own right. Brilliant career, actually. Absolutely brilliant. Overlooked, I think, to a large degree, but now doing great things uh, with our current squad. It is uh, 10.18 here on the SENZ. Uh, we'll be back with the panel very shortly. Aaron Goyle is uh, with us this morning, as is uh, Jamie Wall. And, uh, Jamie, I'll begin with you. Uh, man, uh, we have uh, controversy around the, the All Blacks at times, mostly about the team and the coach, etc. But uh, what about the Springboks? Uh, they've lost a player, been sent home to explain to his wife uh, and all sorts of allegations of of dealings uh, alongside the uh, the dietitian, and now uh, we see um, allegations of recreational drug use the team having to deny. South African rugby livid about it. Oh, come on, Smithy. We're not going to talk about the Shield first up? Come on, mate. No, no Jamie. On. I'm in... Ch- Hey, Jamie, it's like the Gestapo. I asked the questions here, okay? Remember that one? Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, all right. You're off the hook. But, but, but trust me, we're going to circle back to this point. But I will say uh, straight up, yes, it does feel like um, the Springboks uh, would be a good good fun team to be playing for at the moment. kind of reminds me of um, my own side and the way we behaved this year. Uh, and <laughs> I think that... Uh, Quite clearly, they have a strong team culture, um, and there's obviously someone in there snitching a little bit. And um, well, to be honest, though, like in all seriousness, uh, they they are still getting the results on the field. So I, I feel like whatever's actually happening uh, in in their in their space at the moment um, feels like a bit of a distraction, and that they they probably need to kind of. Uh, Push out like who, who's blabbing on them um, at the moment. Um, feel a bit, uh, feel a bit sorry for whoever got stung. Um, you know, doing some lines on the weekend. Um, they are in South America <laughs> after all, so you know who, <laughs> you know who can blame them. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's it's quite clearly like to be honest. Like when it comes down to like what's actually wrong with um, rugby at the moment, um, this this is not very high on, on my my agenda. Um, Probably more like uh, let's let's talk about what at the end of that Blueslow Cup test, which I'm sure you obviously have been for the last few days. Uh, mm. like, I think that's probably more important. This is a, just a little bit of a distraction. It, it, it'll go away. Okay, uh, let's uh, pop across to Aaron Goyle, and I'll give you that opportunity, uh, Aaron. There's been a, a lot of fallout, of course. Um, we've got uh, Nigel Owens, uh, Nigel Owens, co- commenting on the refereeing performance, etc. Uh, we're here, Australia now. I've formally asked uh, World Rugby for a please explain. Not that it'll mean anything in turning over the result or anything. What have you, have, Aaron? What have you made of this fallout? Yeah. Good morning, Smithy. Good morning, Jamie. Uh, yeah. Well, if rugby needed a few more spectators, uh, do you think we might have them now, or or maybe the opposite? Um, certainly intriguing and. If only the Bledisloe was still on the line, you know, maybe had it gone the other way. Um, and this weekend, it would have just been, you know, huge build-up, wouldn't it, for Eden Park? But because it's locked away, it's a little bit, uh, you know, on the other foot. But, yeah, it's really hard to know what to make of it because we've just sort of never seen anything like it as um, 
everyone sort of talked about. But, I mean, at the end of the day, the All Blacks still had to do the job at the end. They were given the opportunity to win it, um, and they did from that scrum. And, um, yeah, I think right now, you know, um, when you look at that incident in isolation, he was um, telling Foley to play the ball. Um, it's in the law book to to um, play the penalty without delay. Um, he did communicate to Foley. His teammates were communicating to him as well. And, uh, yeah, the rest is history, isn't it? It is history, Aaron. It's history for uh, the Wallabies, but they don't want to appear they, they want it to be. Uh, Jamie, uh, you've watched a lot of rugby. You've watched a lot of uh, rugby where it's been slowed down, where it's been delayed, where there have been uh, issues uh, over time and etc. What uh, what have you made of uh, all of this all of a sudden uh, on the back of this decision? Yeah, well, like Aaron said, uh, it's the first time I've ever seen that rule enforced uh, at, at any level, um, and that includes games that I've played in myself, where there's definitely a lot of time wasting um, going on. My understanding of how you'd handle that situation um, is for the referee to blow time off and then restart the clock once the kick's been taken to ensure that there is one last one last play before uh, full time or before the hooter goes. Uh, because that's essentially what what would have happened off the back of that kick. Um, part of me thinks that if the Wallabies really wanted to kill time, um, they they would have taken a scrum because that that could have wound the clock right down um, to the point where all they'd need to feed it do is feed the ball and, and kick it out. So if they'd been a little bit smarter, if they were really really thinking about about uh, wasting time, they could have really done it quite easily. Like if Foley had just banged it into touch, they could have walked as slowly as they possibly could to the line-out. Their line-out was pretty solid. Um, and even if the All Blacks had somehow pinched the ball back, they would have been starting from you know halfway rather than five metres out uh, in search of a try because Sam Whitelock had obviously uh, signalled that they were going to go for the win. And, and fair enough too, because a draw is as good as a loss in that situation for the All Blacks. Uh, but I, I, I've just... I just struggle with like why then why why was it enforced then you know like after everything that goes on in every rugby match all all the season it's like it comes down to the most crucial point of an incredibly crucial game and that's when it happens and 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 you're like man like how on earth does this does it come to this and it's just another sort of anomaly in in the rugby's laws uh, where you're going, well, yeah, I mean, he's right, but at the same time, he's wrong. And there's kind of no no real, uh, you know, going back on the matter because, and, and Nick White, obviously, you know, the footage has come out of him having that conversation. I got to see that conversation, and I was really wondering what he said, so I'm glad that someone picked it up on a mic, um, you know, saying, like, mate, you just cost us the rugby championship. And he's right, it, it, it did. I mean, but I mean, then again, you can say, well, the Wallabies cost it themselves. But it's really hard not to feel sorry for them, though, because, like, really, they did deserve to win that game. I think they did. I think they deserve to win it. Um, a, a tad uh, of uh, a hollow victory, but then again, uh, most New Zealanders will, will take that any time against an Australian team. It is uh, 10.30 here on SENZ. We've got uh, Alan Goyle. And Jamie Wall with us on the panel this morning. We'll be back shortly with another couple of issues to deal with. In the meantime, is Araha with the news. Rightio, this morning we have uh, out of the Waikato, Aaron Goyle, and out of Wellington, 
Jamie Wall. And that means, gentlemen, she's all on this weekend for young and old uh, Aaron Goyle. On the back of that performance, though, against Otago, how confident are you uh, about this Ranfurly Shield clash? Yeah, pretty confident. Um, I think those Waikato guys might have uh, taken in that game on Saturday night and then perhaps taken the eye off the ball a little bit in Dunedin yesterday. Um, probably a little bit hard not to, too, unbeaten through the competition so far and, and yeah, with that shield shot the following week. So, no, I think they'll be right up for this one. And a drought for Waikato, too. It's, only, it's been uh, four years since they uh, last held it. <laughs> okay, well then, uh, here you go. Here's, uh, here's your platform. Platform, Mr Wall. Go for it. Um, on the back of Hawke's Bay, uh, just... Really, um, I won't say yeah, they no, were no, poor, no, but no, they went. They went no, great. Hawks Bay. Hawks Bay yesterday's news, Smithy. Um, look, this is uh, just a great result for rugby. It's a great result for Wellington. It's a great result for New Zealand. Uh, the Shield is back where it belongs uh, in a city that that deserves it. Uh, a city that's done it tough. Uh, a city that's had to, you know, as as a as a as someone who's grown up, that you have to wait a long time between reasons to smile about a rugby team uh, but they make it worthwhile with performances like that on Saturday night I just want to pay tribute to some to some heroes uh, TJ Perinata uh, Julian Savia uh, Safa Amor put them all back in the All Blacks uh, make them all co-captains um, I believe uh, they all just played out of their skins uh, I think that I think that the test match intensity that they brought to uh, to that 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 woeful field uh, that you call a home ground in, in McLean Park, uh, it really elevated everybody on that field, including Horse Bay. They had to raise their game to match Wellington's just stunning intensity that they brought. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, it came down to a clutch play right at the end. Big James Blackhall got across and, and, and you know, called his own number and got up at number two and 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 just, and just snaked that ball off that line out. And that's how you win shield matches. You win it by... You know, sheer guts and determination, and that's what Wellington did. And I, and I feel like Waikato just m- might as well not even bother coming down um, this Saturday because I've got, got absolutely no chance. And um, the Shield is going to stay at Wellington for a long, long time. Yeah, Jamie, uh, it was 19-12, not 63-5. Good God. <coughs> well, um, you know, uh, the way I saw it, uh, it might as well have been 50. Okay, um, fair enough. Uh, we'll leave it at that, and uh, we'll just speculate throughout the week as uh, what might happen there. Uh, I think uh, it's going to be one hell of a challenge. It'll probably out, uh, play the test match, to be perfectly honest, in terms of quality and intrigue. Uh, let's uh, look at, uh, Aaron, if we can, uh, the Black Caps. The Black Caps uh, T20 World Cup squad, which is named tomorrow. Uh, any changes, any uh, surprises from your point of view? No surprises, Smithy. Um, I think it's all, you know, it's all sort of done and dusted, really, isn't it? I mean, I can't see any, apart from Adam Milne, um, you know, possibly being fit and, you know, he could edge out Matt Henry. Um, The only question mark I would have um, is over Ish Sodi. Um, You know, he's been a strong performer for New Zealand in the white ball format, you know, particularly T20 for several years now, but with um, Michael Bracewell coming on and obviously Mitch Santner being lead spinner. Um, yeah, I just don't know about Sodi. He's, he's bowling a few 
few too many bad balls for my liking, um, you know, that have been getting duly punished. And, yeah, I just I don't even know in the 11 if they'd even entertain the thought of two spinners in Australia anyway. But with Bracewell's ability to bat, um, you know, and the way he's come on, he could be another one to play alongside Santa and spin the ball the other way. So apart from that, I'd just like to see Finn Allen given a chance at the top of the order whether that's with Martin Guttel or without. But in terms of a 15, um, you know, I think it's pretty set. I wouldn't be uh, asking you too much about uh, the cricket, Jamie, because it's a game of way too much culture and um, and uh, I, I think uh, way too much intrigue, perhaps, perhaps your basic Wellington rugby mind to be involved in. So uh, I'll go past that and I'll go back to a rug- rugby subject that you might be a little bit more akin with. And that's uh, our good friend uh, Andrew Mertens uh, saying, what about uh, an official timekeeper? Uh, and 30 minutes half could be employed to encourage time wasting. So uh, that's even less than uh, secondary school rugby. What do you feel about Mertz? Do you think he was just um, having a moment? Well, I, I'd firstly like to remind you that the greatest cricket ground in the world, the Basin Reserve, is in Wellington, Smithy. So I'd just like to put that out there for you. Um, but, yeah, interesting from Mertz, um, because it's not, it's not a terrible idea. Uh, because I think that anything that can improve on the situation that got manipulated uh, into what we had the other night um, is probably a good idea. Uh, I think that time off for for scrums and, and line-outs and, and so forth, which is something that often gets brought up, um, is kind of a basic way of looking at it, though, because I feel like that would just mean that even more time would get uh, spent setting scrums because you know you don't actually have to, uh, you know, set it by by a certain time. So unless they instituted some sort of shot clock, um, uh, like they do in the NRL for scrums and so forth, then I don't know how what sort of how that would actually solve um, the problem. And you'd probably end up having you know uh, games that last over two hours. Um, I I think you know if I could. Um, offer some sort of uh, uh, solution myself. It's more like look at the NFL and have some sort of rule where by maybe the last five minutes or the last two minutes even, um, the rules kind of change and that's when you can start stopping the clock for uh, for for the ball going out of play or scrums or whatever and, and that might make things uh, a little bit um, a little bit more clear uh, at the business end of games. I mean, to the, Aaron, to, to me, do the referees need any more help? I mean, and that is one of the things that Nigel Owens pointed out in this article over the week on his interview was uh, the influence of uh, non-actual refereeing people involved in the game, i.e. TMOs, is diluting the game and, and it's not good in all areas. So, so would a time clock also just dilute that as well, Aaron? Yeah, I think so. I think players just need to listen to the man in the middle. Um, it's as simple as that. He's there. He's the ruler of time. Yes, he has two people on the sideline, um, one in the box upstairs, and whoever else um, in terms of timekeepers. But at the end of the day, he is the one who has to decide which penalty do I blow or not blow at every ruck, every scrum, every more, etc. There's so many grey areas in rugby. It's just part of the game there's absolutely no need to bring in any more shot clock PMO time 
housekeeping, what have you. You know, it's just if he says play the ball, kick the ball, kick it out. Just listen to him. You know, like he's the one that's going to decide if it's a penalty. So, yeah, I think it's pretty simple, really. Okay, uh, Aaron Goyle and uh, Jamie Wall have uh, been our panellists this morning. Um, you know what'll happen, uh, Jamie Wall, if uh, Wellington do actually turn the shield over in the space of seven days, you will be on the panel next Monday. You know that, don't you? Yeah, well, that's not going to happen, so I'm not worried. So there you go. Okay, and uh, Aaron, uh, if you do happen to turn it over from them, we'll probably uh, be calling you as well. So uh, enjoy the week and build up, fellas. And uh, we look forward to uh, that clash at uh, Sky Stadium on Saturday afternoon at uh, 4.35. Should be an absolute ripper. Aaron Goyle, Jamie Wall, our panellists today. Gentlemen, thank you very much. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, to make all club golfers feel good, I've just been watching the final uh, round of the Fortinus Championship out the corner of my eye. This is the first event in the new season for the PGA Danny Willett, the Englishman, uh, had a two-and-a-half to three-foot putt to win it outright. He missed it. He then had a two-and-a-half, three-putt, uh, three-putt, uh, two-and-a-half or three-foot putt to tie to force it to a playoff. He missed that as well. So from three feet, Danny Willett has three-putted from three feet to hand the Fortinest cho- Trophy to Max Homer, who uh, actually... Just looking at him, can't quite believe it, and neither can I. So that's for all you club golfers so who have trouble with uh, the flat stick, as they call it. Uh, have a look at uh, Danny Willett, absolutely bottling it. Right, uh, one of the hottest uh, uh, agendas, uh, hottest items on the agenda, of course, has been the rugby from last Thursday night. And we do have uh, a little bit of the audio now between uh, referee and said player, which has caused a bit of controversy. Let's uh, listen to it now. Yeah, play on, please. We play. We play. Time off. Okay. We play. Yeah, yeah. We play. No, no. I, I will switch, switch on the time. Okay. And we play now. Time on. Ten. Ten. Oh. I told you. I told you to. Time is off. Time off. Nick, I'm sorry. I'm so, you know exactly I what I want. I understand, but I know. You I know exactly. What you mean. I told you two times. I know. And then you still continue. I understand, if but you, he was just about Nick, to get him for two seconds. Nick, no, 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 no way. Mate, Nick. that just cost us Nick, can, the rugby can, can, championship. Can I yeah. Can I speak? I tell you, you first because you are the captain. Yes. I tell to you ten. Then I, I, I warning him. I say, if you don't play immediately, I will give a strength. So that's not fair. What you did at the end, you, you just run the time. So, and you know exactly, if you think I'm not capable to give a scrum and to turn a ball, you make a mistake. Yeah. So now you know it. That's interesting. I'm just going to ask Logan to recue that. And up until, I don't want the Nick White conversation. I just want the referee's conversation. Is it possible um, for you to do that, Logan? I can't I rewind it like that, oh, unfortunately. Right. Okay. But I do right, find I'll, it interesting. I'll tell you this. Yeah, you go. Yeah, I, I, he said 10, right? He clearly said 10. Now, if I'm um, Bernard Foley, does that mean he's talking to me as number 10 or I've got 10 seconds? What does the word 10 mean? Yeah, that's fair in that context. The one thing I I picked up on that is he does say time off and then he says time on and then you hear Nick White profess that time was off. 
it was very, to me, very clear that you heard him say time was back on. Yes, he did. There's no doubt about it. He said this time on, but he also clearly said the word 10. Now, does 10 mean 10, Bernard Foley, you're number 10, get your act together and kick it right now, or does it mean 10 seconds? What are you thinking if you're Bernard Foley in the heat of the moment? I've got 10 seconds to work this out. Uh, He clearly said 10. So, um, look, hey, it's not going to change the course of events, no doubt about it. But interesting uh, that... the, this day and age you can get that close and personal and get uh, all the conversations uh, that have been coming through. Uh, look uh, we've had uh, a lot of uh, texts come in over the last uh, four days really, still coming in actually. Uh, Goose has said just heard the guy you had on say Rugby Australia want the game sped up, talking about uh, Christy uh, Morton who was uh, on with us this morning. If they want that why don't they speed it up? The Aussies were wasting time constantly um, Mark says that that Australian rugby writer you had on is talking a load of rubbish. Nigel Owens in another interview said the referee was correct in his ruling. That guy sounds like a whinging Aussie. Have they forgotten about the John Eels kick in 2000? Bit of pot calling the kettle black. Um, hi, Smithy. Gee, that Jamie Walls was full of it on the panel. I think he's had a couple of lines, much like the Springbok you spoke to him about. I certainly can't see uh, past Wellington, can he? That's Jared coming in there. Uh, Jamie Wall. Uh, Maggie's come in on an entirely different note, Maggie, and thank you so much for this and thanks for reminding us too. A uh, shout out to the New Zealand equestrian eventing team, a bronze individual and team in the World Championships. Maggie, so often uh, overlooked, isn't it? Uh, gets uh, due attention around about uh, Olympic time, doesn't it? We give it uh, its real due there, but Certainly, uh, we should be looking at, uh, and badminton too, when the Kiwis uh, front and centre, we give it a bit of attention as well, but so often, as you say, overlooked. Brian, uh, morning Ian. The forward pass leading to a seven-pointer for Australia, missed by nobody, but the touch assistance and TMO sort of balances the end result. The ref has a huge job. We didn't make a huge deal of the drawn Lions series on this decision. Move on, Aussie, like we all do in sport. That is uh, Brian. And Richard uh, on the NPC with uh, an observation. County's halfback Cam Roygaard Roygaard had an absolute phenomenal game on Saturday. Cover defence, link play, tackling, backing up the ball carrier, sniping around the ruck, sidestepping, vision for the cutout pass were needed. His highlight reel is massive every week. Big boy too, but passes accurately. Would be a good option for an apprentice place on the All Black Tour if they still do that. Don't know if they do, Richard. Probably not for the World Cup, but maybe the Northern Tour. Um, and we've got plenty of halfbacks too. It's 10.52 here on SCNZ. SCNZ. Well, it is 10.57 here on SCNZ. And uh, my pleasure to introduce Paul Mawati from the TAB with the mouth-watering proposition this week of uh, the TAB having to set the odds for Wellington, the Ramphilly Shield holders, against the mighty Waikato. Paul Mawati, what, a, what, a, what an event that's going to be. It certainly will be. I'm hoping they have the parade down Lambton Key sometime this week, just in case we don't have the shield after this weekend. Now, I know that the the boys are actually, uh, as we speak, uh, looking at the odds for this uh, week's NPC uh, game. So they should be out later on this afternoon sometime, um, along with the... Uh, rugby Championship odds. I see we've just got the All Black odds out for the Test match at Eden Park. All Blacks a dollar twenty. The
The Australians, the Wallabies at four twenty, and the draw at $26 so far. So um, that I guess that streak that the All Blacks have at Eden Park has um, forced the bookies into $1.20 with the All Blacks getting out of jail on Thursday night at Marvel Stadium. I was going to say uh, also too uh, what it's been like at uh, Bookie Central this morning with the finish to that PGA event with Danny Willett three putting from two and a half feet. Oh, and uh, Max Homer chipping in from off the green um, to, to defend his uh, title uh, at Silverado in the Fortinet Championship. Yeah, that's right, Smitty. Uh, Max Homer coming over the top of Danny Willett, who had a one-stroke stro- lead, heading down the 18th um, and three-putted from around, what was it, about five, four or five feet. So, most of that, yeah. Homer, well done. And American sport, top of the agenda today? Yeah, it certainly is. Um, NFL right to the fore uh, this afternoon and the big game on. Uh, it's a divisional rival uh, rivalry here. The Green Bay Packers at Lambeau hosting the Chicago Bears. The Packers $1.21 after losing in week one. The Bears, who uh, picked up a win in that first week, are $4.45 outsiders. They're 10.5-point underdogs, the Chicago Bears. And it's just a matter of whether uh, Aaron Rodgers can find some targets uh, to throw the ball to. I actually don't mind the Bears, plus 10.5, and that's where a bit of money's gone as well. Chicago Bears, plus 10.5. It's a bonus back game, Smitty, so um, if you have a winning team in margin bet, uh, you might be able to uh, grab a bonus bet. If you don't win, check out all the T's and C's at the TAB website. Paul Moati, as usual, thank you very much. Uh, We'll be talking league after the break, uh, our regular catch-up, Monday catch-up, with Andrew Voss on the back of the playoffs at the weekend. Team concede penalty. Marnie, short side, juggling Brown, kick through. Here comes, now it's not banked. Xavier Savage and Tom Oppercheck has scored. That has taken middle stuff out of the ground. And look at this. Oh, well, that is rubbing it in. Yes, the Eels fans are now having a night out. They are having a night out, and uh, why shouldn't they? With a scoreline of 40-4, to 4, uh, and the Rabbitohs 38-12. to 12. So it'll be interesting to hear uh, Andrew Voss's uh, thoughts about uh, that weekend of uh, NRL Finals footy, because... That, from that point of view, looks very uh, one-sided in both matches, doesn't it? Uh, Vossi joins us now, uh, having just finished his breakfast show in Australia, where he's uh, alongside uh, Brandy Alexander. We had Brandy uh, previewing the games. It's only fit we have uh, Vossi reviewing them. Uh, what did you make of those two scorelines, Vossi, before we get isolated into both games? Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Um, well, I think we had a case of, you know, this is probably stating the, the obvious, but... Two very happy teams, but two very disappointed teams because, you know, they've worked so hard to get where they are. Week two of the finals and neither Cronulla or Canberra could say they played anywhere near their best. You know, you could, even though it'd be bitter, a bitter pill to swallow, if you play your best and still get knocked out, at least you can hang your hat on. Well, you know, we couldn't have given any more. Canberra and Cronulla would have walked away thinking, boy, oh boy, you know, we... uh, we played nowhere near what we had done in our best performances during the year on the night we needed to produce um, our absolute best. Well, the Eels, of course, they romped in 40-4 to in front of an enthusiastic sold-out crowd. Uh, we heard the uh, backlash right at the very end with the Viking slow clap. Uh, Mitchell Moses, who was uh, under, under doubt 
He was under doubt, Mitchell Moses, but uh, hardly missed a beat out there, particularly uh, in the first half. Outstanding performance from Mitchell Moses. Um, Still one of the better long-kicking games in the competition, but very good in attack. Um, His try was one of great confidence. Uh, Parramatta was so much better for having him there. But, I mean, there were... You know, listen, performance, I was really disappointed, and I, I make no apologies for singling out the likes of Dylan Brown and Clint Gutherson the previous week. They were, they were off their game. I mean, but Dylan Brown was back to his best. He's had a sensational season. One of the reasons I'm so keen on the Kiwis at the World Cup is Dylan Brown. And Clint Gutherson was back in the game. I can't explain why they were so quiet the previous week uh, for Parramatta against Penrith. So if they have that part of their... Like, like they have a really good spine, don't they, Parramatta, if they're all firing. Mm. Clint Gutherson... Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses, Reid Marnie. That's a really good four. And, uh, and that's going to give, you know, if they all play, if they all play, if they're dialed in on, on Friday night against the Cowboys, wow, what a game we've got. Well, how does uh, a side like the Raiders, uh, who, uh, who do fluctuate, I think it's fair to say, a little bit like uh, their coaches mood from time to time, but you know that you're going to be under the pump in finals footy. You know your defence is going to be under pressure. Four tries in the opening 25 minutes? Yeah, twenty-two nil. Yeah, that that's that hurts obviously. And I just look the, the first involvement, like Canberra's best performances. It's it's Tarpany, it's Papa Leahy, straight on the front foot, and and you know they they really do feed off that. Yet the other night they had to be they had to know what Parramatta was going to come at them with. It was fight fire with fire. It would be Campbell Gillard. It would be Junior Barlow. It'll be you know Nia Corey. I mean it's no secret he gets named on the bench every week and starts. You know he's going to run like his you know life depends on it, and that's exactly what Parramatta did. And they were the ones that sort of you know not not forced Canberra into submission, but it was a a clear cut win in the middle of the park right from the start of the game for Parramatta, for mine. And, and that was backed up by the stats. You look at the metres made, um, but Parramatta outstanding. Canberra short of what they've produced at their best and you know, Parramatta turned it into points and it really was all over at half-time. You, in commentary, Smithy, I did quote some games and there were matches during the season. They came back against the Warriors, Canberra, from well down. They came back against Newcastle, but... You know, out of respect, that was the Warriors, that was Newcastle. It wasn't finals football. They weren't coming back from 22, as it's shown, against a, a team like Parramatta on a good night. Significant for Brad Arthur, the Parramatta head coach, of course, who's had a little bit of an issue around week two of the finals. He's broken that jinx now. Um, and I would imagine uh, now they can look forward to it with a bit more confidence, although it is a very tough assignment ahead. Can I tell you, Smithy, we were on air this morning, Brandy, and as you said at the top of the uh, coverage of the, of the interview, rather, um, Brandy's my co-host, Greg was looking up the weather forecast for Townsville, and this morning, like while we're on air, 8 o'clock this morning, the temperature in Townsville was 26 and felt like 29 with the humidity already at 83% at 8 o'clock in the morning, so... Um, there's a school of thought that says Parramatta should probably get up there early and acclimatise and, or, you know, put in a session or two up there, but they're not going to do that. They're going to fly up Thursday. They're going to follow their their standard preparation, what they would do in a regular season match. So I, I guess proof will be in the pudding in that regard. But, you, you know, you've got to think, just based on conditions and the fact the Cowboys didn't have to play last weekend, they've had two weeks at home to prepare, um, that, that has to that has to be some advantage, doesn't it? It has to be. I mean, it's a, it's a most... It, you know, it's a one-out-of-the-box venue. There's no other venue like it in the competition than a trip to Townsville, and now we're in spring, 
and you're talking and, and Friday's forecast, Smithy, is for 28, 29 degrees. And, and overnight, it doesn't really come down a whole lot. So it's, it's unique to the competition, and in particular at this, uh, this time of year. A nice try, uh, a really classy try right at the end, actually, for Murata Niakura, who, of course, is part of uh, the Kiwis Rugby World Cup squad going forward. Um, on the evidence of what we saw there, do you see him being a, a part of uh, Michael Maguire's side? Oh, absolutely. He, 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 look, he, he's got to be in your 17, and because he's got that versatility back row and centre. Now, it would while he's been coming off, um, he's been named on the bench every week, but he starts the game. This week, I think you might see him start in the centres. Tom Opacek, uh came off the field during the game, hamstring problem for him. I don't think he'll play Friday night. And uh, the mail we're getting is that Nia Corey will, will start in the centres, as he's done before. I mean... I can remember last year a great game he played in the centres opposed to Justin Ollum at Melbourne, one of the best centres in the competition. So he's such a valuable player. He's a terrific signing for the Warriors, Nia Corey. Um, and he's got that aggression as well. So a big, big test for him in the centres against the Cowboys. There's plenty of speed in the Cowboys' back line, but um, he'll pose some threat to them as well. So Nia Corey to start in the centres, I believe, this week. Um, Bailey Simonson... Is in the mix, but I don't think they'll start with him. I think Nia Corey will be the starting set of Parramatta with Opacek out. Right. Uh, game two, of course, was Cronulla and uh, South Sydney, the Sharks and the Rabbitohs, and the Rabbitohs surviving that brutal encounter the previous Sunday. Uh, they, uh, Cronulla threw everything at them in the first 20 minutes. Uh, they didn't crack uh, the Rabbitohs, and uh, that was a sign of things to come. Well, again, I'll throw a quote from Greg Alexander this morning. He said, while he didn't make this admission during commentary, he thought it when the first try was scored. I mean, South Sydney scored inside two minutes. And it's Mark Nichols of all players. He doesn't get too many. And he just spins and plunges over the line. Brandy felt like saying as he watched it, well, the Sharks are gone. Because you can't, you just can't have that happen to you. Um, you know, your goal line defence inside two minutes can be that poor. So he, had, he thought alarm bells were ringing and... Uh, and then, of course, there's the try right on halftime. That was, that was a real killer blow from South Sydney. Cameron Murray, because he's only 12 mil at that point. And Cameron Murray beats Dale Finucane one-on-one. Bad miss from Dale mm. Finucane. He wouldn't want to watch the replay back. And at 12 mil, of course, they're a huge chance. At 18 mil, you know, a lot tougher. And, and while South kept on dropping the ball during the night, there was a lot of drop ball from South. Um, it still didn't... Cronulla just didn't have that extra gear the other night. They, they threatened 12 points was as close as they got. Um, but South Sydney, you know, the, the record will show, and Craig Fitzgibbon certainly did not hide his disappointment after the game. And, and Craig Fitzgibbon, mm-hmm. being the player we knew him, you know, defence-oriented and all the rest, for his team to concede 30 points plus in both their finals appearances, he was very disappointed with that aspect, not just the defeat, but to concede mm-hmm. over 30 in both games. He knows, he basically said after the game, I'm ready to start working on next season right now. You know, like that's, where, yeah. that's where our start point will be. Um, but he was very disappointed with that, and Sharks fans would be too. Yeah, quoted as saying well, they got a lesson in the fundamentals, one you shouldn't need at this stage of the season. That was from Craig Fitzgibbon, very honest about that. Um, uh, an interesting night, Cameron Murray, unbelievably good. Quite quiet, though, oh, for yeah. Latrell Mitchell and Cody Walker, who are so instrumental that pretty much everything the Rabbitohs do on attack, they were pretty quiet, which uh, I would imagine is quite a good sign going forward for this clash against the Panthers yeah. where they are uh, big underdogs. Well, I'll say, Smithy, I, I'm going to credit the coach, Jason Demetrio, with a fair 
bit of uh, this here. Everyone knows South Sydney's left side attack is a huge danger. And, of course, that's with Alex Johnson on the end of it. And, and you know, you can imagine Cronulla during the week working on ways, studying tape, the South City left, we've got to be alert to it. If you watch the game back, most of the, you know, the big plays, they, they worked right. So I think that was tactical. And, and Tane Milne ended up, uh, Tane Milne ended up the recipient of a lot of that good work out on the right-hand side, and, and Campbell Graham's in very good form. So South City mixed things up for the occasion. Now, I don't know, that sort of gets in the head of Penrith now. So which way is South going to go? As long as Mitchell and Walker are out there, whether they're at 100% or 80%, you know they're going to come up with some big plays during the night. It's whether they produce them when the game's, you know, tight, early. Can they get on the front foot? Can they lead Penrith? Because I think that's the key for South Sydney this week. They cannot let Penrith get in front because Penrith is a side that just don't give you cheap balls. South Sydney do. South Sydney do drop a few balls, and that's proven again on the weekend. So the key will be starting well, leading, keeping Penrith under pressure. I think if Penrith lead, they win. So if you could ask me, you know, at halftime, if Penrith's in front by you know, 10 or 12, I don't think South will mm. catch them. Other way around, look out. Can you shut down Nathan Cleary? I mean, his performance last week I thought was quite outstanding. Uh, I was over in Sydney yeah. and I managed to, to watch it, uh, and it was so dominata- dominating. He's such a threat with ball in hand, opposed to anything else apart from his tactics. I, I just wonder, can, can he be shut down? Can, can they do that? Oh, well, all you can do is like what, you know, I suppose what Queensland have done in State of Origin. Sure, you can put pressure on him and, and you know, let him know you're there. You might have to push the envelope. You might have to, you know, even run the rule of conceding a penalty to do that. But, um, no, but you're talking about one of the best players in our competition. Uh, you know, the great benefits of Penrith, they've all won grand finals now. You know, they've all, they've all got last season to, to draw on. Um, and they did it so well last year. You know, tough, good semi-final defensive plays, all of those things. So I just think, you know, well-oiled machine. Penrith is going to have to have to make mistakes, I believe, to lose. And the only way they will make mistakes, and I don't see unforced errors, Souths are going to have to be in their face the whole night, really aggressive. Um, and as I said, they might have to, you know, run the rule with the referee a little bit, test him out um, to, to make that happen. So, uh, as we look forward to it, um, in, in, in short, uh, how do you see them going at this point, these, uh, these semis? Oh, look, I, I will stick by Penrith. and I know that's a Saturday night game. I'll start with the Saturday night game, first of all. I think Penrith, best team in the league, and it's not just this season. It's last season, the, the year before, where they were beaten grand finalists. They're an outstanding side. They're at the peak of their powers. They've now got the experience of grand final victory, to uh, draw on as well. I, I don't see a poor performance from Penrith coming, so I think South can play well and still get beaten. So I'll go Penrith to beat South Sydney. And Friday night, really torn by that one, um, Cowboys and Parramatta. Cowboys have had the two weeks, but Parramatta are their best, capable of beating any side. I'm going to tip Parramatta, a Parramatta-Penrith grand final, but from a personal point of view, I would love Friday night to go overtime. I would love to really go and, <laughs> and take them out beyond the 90 minutes in those conditions. Wouldn't that be a, a story to tell that you witness the finals match like that? So, um, you know, may the best team win this weekend. No matter what the combination, we're going to end up end up with a good grand final, Smitty. Right, OK. Uh, there's a slightly bigger picture to look at too. You've seen the Kiwis' extended squad. 
Uh, we talked to Greg uh, Alexander about that on Friday. He's very impressed with the, the depth there. So, so in terms of what Mel Meninga is looking at over this final two weeks of NRL action, how close do you think he are to uh, he is to his unit? Uh, how, what kind of uh, areas shall we match up? Shall we be looking at this weekend, perhaps? Well, the problem for Mal is got to find out, you know, who's who wants to play for Australia. Isn't that disappointing? You, 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 mm-hmm. You're a few weeks out from picking your squad, and you still don't know. I mean, Payne Haas was the latest one where there was speculation about whether he would end up um, in the uh, sights of Samoa. But uh, I, I, I think Australia will field obviously a strong lineup and have match winners in it. But I don't think you know that the, the starting thirteen is as clear cut as perhaps other tours and other times for the Australian side. I mean, even right down to halfback. I mean, you know, there's a fair argument for Daly Cherry Evans. He was with the winning, you know, Queensland State of Origin side this year uh, and captain of that series. Does does Cherry Evans get it there ahead of Cleary? Does Cleary have to win the competition to get ahead of Cherry Evans? So, you know, there's there's a key position there. I I don't know whether hookers, you know, absolutely so. I think Tedesco at fullback and and Munster at 5'8 would do with just about everyone, but... Yeah, I think there's a fair bit to be decided. Um, whether the finals do that, I'm not sure where Mal sits on some of those key ones. But I, I'm just really keen on New Zealand. I, I just think that um, that squad, you know, is mix of youth and experience, isn't it? You know, like you've got some exciting younger set that are going to be there for the next five, seven, eight years for New Zealand. Then you've got the, the veterans, the Rapiner and, and Sean Johnson still in the squad and some others. Uh, the Bromwich boys, players like that that have been around the block plenty of times. So to I think it's a really good balanced squad that New Zealand have and, and uh, they're going to be super competitive at the World Cup. Uh, Vossi, just changing uh, to uh, another code for a second because uh, I know there'll be immense interest uh, in the rugby league. There always is in New South Wales and Sydney in particular. But uh, how about the Melbourne cricket ground next weekend? Because the Swans, the Swans have made it to the grand final against the Geelong Cats and what a thrilling playoff match that was they won. Yeah, winning winning by a point, having, you know, the, the story of Collingwood all through the year for our listeners who don't follow it too closely, they've just been the kings of the close game. I think they had a 7-0 and close finish and uh, and then in finals they've gone 0-2 and in the close finishes. But um, they, they pushed the Swans, they were behind all the way and then get within one. So uh, we asked a question this morning, would you rather, a grand final qualify, Speedy, would you rather lose by one or lose by 20? <laughs> you get mm. so close and you think of all those little ma- moments in a game that could have been different that you, you possibly could have won. Uh, but no, I, I think speaking to most of the pundits, you've got the best two now playing the grand final in the AFL. And if I was to ask you right now, who's the best two in the rugby league? I don't know whether anyone would have a clear-cut answer. Would they say that the Cowboys are... Do we have a clear-cut two? Like, we've got Penrith certainly as one, but do we have a clear-cut two? You say, no, that's a worthy grand final. I think ours is a little more open um, this weekend than what the AFL, they had their best two sides win. Um, it is going to be uh, huge, as it always is in Melbourne. They've had their Brownlow medal last night, which is the equivalent of the Dally M. They have a street parade this week. And, and this week, of course, we have a public holiday on Thursday in Australia. So it becomes a long, long weekend of sport to, uh, to build into a Saturday grand final in the AFL where they have Robbie Williams playing as well as the, um, as the entertainment. So they've done, they've done well on that department, uh, Smitty. Just finally, Vossi, um, we've got to ask you how Bernard Foley is sleeping uh, these days. What would you make of that, mate? <laughs> oh, well, it's become a soap opera since. I mean, he said, she said, did he say that? What was said? Was that said at the time or was that said later? And then what was said later? Did that match up to what was said before? I mean, uh, factor of the matter, it happened. Um, 
I've spoken to many now, and it's a, it's a tough one because technically the decision is correct. So technically mm. it's correct. Then I follow my follow-up question is, has it ever happened in any game you've ever played or watched? And they say no. So <laughs> is, it, is it a right call? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, they still could have hung on, couldn't they? I mean, that, that's, that's yep. sort of lost the mix. The, you know, you still didn't have to lose the Wallabies. They, they were still in front. Um, but then the All Blacks go over. It's, it's, it, I think some people have gone to the extent to me that you're saying, well, that, that negates the underarm incident. Well, I don't think it does <laughs> because this, this is what the referee's doing. But, you know, that's where some people's heads have gone over the past few days. Bossy, always a pleasure talking to you on a number of issues there. Uh, enjoy finals, uh, semi-final weekend. We'll talk to you next Monday with uh, a review and a preview of the big one. Cheers, mate. Well, have a great week. You too, Smithy. Cheers, uh, Andrew Voss here, of course. Uh, great that he's with us uh, every Monday to sum up everything going on in the NRL code. It's 11.22 here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, that is uh, Brian May, of course, uh, guitarist for Queen, playing God Save the Queen, uh, atop Buckingham Palace. Uh, that was for her Golden Jubilee, uh, so a special uh, occasion there. And I've got to declare my interest here. I am absolute. I am an absolute royalist. I know I'm probably in the minority in this country, but uh, I was brought up uh, in a home that uh, I won't say worshipped the royals, but had great respect for the royals. We had, uh, my grandmother had uh, all sorts of teaspoons and cups and plates and all those sorts of things. She used to buy them all the time. Uh, and so I was brought up uh, to have the utmost respect for the, uh, the monarchy and for the Queen. Of course, the only, uh, in my lifetime up until this point, the, the only royal. In fact, for most of us uh, in our lifetime, the only royal. But now, of course, it's got to change. So I was really thrilled to be able to meet her. I met her twice, actually. In 1983, I went with the... Uh, New Zealand cricket team as part of the World Cup to uh, Buckingham Palace with all the teams so we all got to meet her very briefly and a uh, quick conversation but in 1986 um, I was invited to go down to the committee room uh, and uh, you and Chatfield and myself were uh, picked out of a group of guys who wanted to go uh, and we went down and we uh, sat in the back of the committee room and they had this uh, uh, situation where there were five chairs and the Queen sat on the middle of the, of the five chairs looking out the window, looking from the committee room down the ground at Lords uh, at the cricket. And uh, one, two people would sit, one either side of her on the next two chairs and the other two would be left blank. Uh, and, and then when uh, it was time for the people who were actually currently talking to the Queen uh, to move on, the signal was that two people would come in and sit on those seats on the outside and then the, the two would get up and the two from the outside would sit in the middle and, and on it would go, right? And so um, Chats and I waited for our turn and then we got motion to sit on the outside and the two that were previously talking to the Queen, uh, usually about a three, four minute chat, um, got up and left. Uh, and Chats and I moved in and, you know, very nervous, absolutely very nervous to be able to talk to her and engage her in that regard. So uh, we talked for quite some time and uh, we talked about uh, racehorses, which is immense interest of mine, of course, and is 
for her as well. So that was an easy one. We talked a little bit about the cricket. We talked uh, a little bit about um, New Zealand. And um, what we noticed was, uh, in fact, Edward was, I think, a, a tutor at uh, Collegiate at the time, Whanganui. Uh, and so what we um, what we were t- sort of talking about, we, we didn't quite notice that no one had come on the outside. And we're sort of looking on the outside as if to say, you know, our time's nearly up, nearly up. It's got to be nearly up because, um, you know, we've been here so long. We actually spent around uh, 16, 17 minutes with her and no one, no one came on the outside seat. So... It was amazing, actually. Uh, it was just a brilliant time to actually talk to her, mainly about um, you know uh, things concerning New Zealand, but the horse side of it was brilliant. Um, and uh, she was very engaging, just like talking to um, any you know distinguished uh, older woman. She was just absolutely fantastic. And when you consider the number of people that she's met and talked to and had to be nice to over her uh, amazing lifetime, amazing lifetime, you just imagine uh, the kind of quality individual uh, that she was. Seriously patient woman and seriously, seriously brilliant and seriously respected as well. And that is why at 9.30 tonight, the Smith family television will be absolutely on the start of uh, the funeral for this great woman, the greatest woman that I've ever encountered or I will ever encounter in my lifetime, the greatest woman on the planet, I believe, in the last uh, 96 years she has been simply amazing we'll be glued tonight i'm not sure if all of you will be up there a lot of people aren't uh, monarchy fans in this country uh we certainly uh, a lot of people want us to be driven towards being a republic not i not i i look forward to the reign now of uh, king charles and then of course king william after that long live the monarchy as far as i'm concerned have a crack at me if you like don't care I'll be watching tonight. It is uh, now 9th, uh, 9.30. It's uh, 9.30 in Sydney. Uh, it's 11.32 here, actually, here in uh, New Zealand, which means it's time for you to uh, get on the blower and dial 0800-150-811. 0800-150-811. And it's time to stump Smithy. 1476 AM in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. And we're starting the week here, SNZ Mornings, with Stumped playing for $100 after, of course, Smithy finished off the weekend in great fashion there with the stumping. I know you're in a good mood, Smithy. It's been a big day. You're going to have a big night ahead of you. How are you feeling about this one? I'm feeling confident, uh, actually. I, I, I look forward to um, the challenge on a Monday, a fresh. read a few papers, or not papers, but I read a bit of stuff, stuff over the weekend, so I've got a little bit more knowledge than I had on Friday, so hopefully that'll be pertinent to in the quiz today. Who is our, our first victim for the week, shall we say? Well, it might be pertinent. We'll see when I bring up the topics. First uh, competitor, though, coming up to the crease from Foxton, we have Chris. Come in, Chris. Hey, g'day. Yeah. I loved your um, talk there, uh, Smithy. That was bloody brilliant there, the Queen. Okay, I'll tell you what, you, you and I are both um, in the, the older stages of our life, Chris. There's another Chris from Foxton, of course, um, who knows the Queen pretty well, and that, of course, is Chris Waller, uh, who's tra- trained horses for her as well. Uh, a young Chris Waller uh, you would have uh, known all about uh, in the Foxton area, but, my God, he's gone on to good things, including that association with the Queen. Yeah, I know Chris very well. I actually looked out for some horses for him here, but when he went to Aussie, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. 
absolutely okay. brilliant. Uh, he's been he's been outstanding. Him him and uh, James McDonald, uh, unbelievable. And uh, that one too of Nature's Trip. What did you make of Nature's Trip at, at the weekend for oh, Steve Hansen and Co? Yeah, absolutely Jeez, wow. brilliant. Yeah, he's, uh, Loved he's it. such a okay. great judge of a horse. Oh, he is yeah. a great judge of a horse. Uh, um, if you want anyone in a finish these days, there's only one you want, bloke you want in a finish. That's James McDonald. Right, uh, speaking of finishes, let's get on with the start. Uh, and uh, Logan, what are our subjects uh, this morning for Chris from Foxton? All right, the topics today for you, Chris, are boxing, the Ranfilly Shield, and cricket. Take your pick. It'll be boxing, please. <laughs> all right, boxing is the category, and they're all dedicated to one Joseph Parker, what year did Joe Parker win the WBO World Heavyweight Championship? Yeah, I'll go, uh, let's see, two, um, 2015. One of the worst things I have ever yeah. seen done on a cricket field. <laughs> Over to you, Smithy. 2016. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, cool as you like. 2016 there at Vector Arena, of course now called Spark Arena. Unlucky to you, Chris from Foxen, back to the pavilion. But next up at the crease, we have David from Dunedin. Come in, mate. G'day, mate. How are you? Hello, Smitty. Good morning. Uh, good morning to you, David. Um, all the very best uh, with question two here, Logan. What's question two? You, we're stuck with boxing, so uh, you got a great chance against yeah. me. That was a fluke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll see. Of course, they are all dedicated to Joseph Parker this morning. How many professional boxing losses has Joe Parker suffered in his career? Oh, jeez. Um, boxing's not my strong suit either, Smitty. Um, let's go. What have you got? One, two, three... Four, five. We'll say five. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. No, I don't think it's that many, actually. Um, I'm just I'm trying to count through them. Um, and uh, he hasn't lost that often because, of course, he hasn't fought that often professionally, mm. uh, to be perfectly honest. I, I'm going to say, at a stretch, I'd say um, three, but I'm going to go two. I'm going to go That's two. a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the oh. slot. And the way it goes. Yep, two. And they're pretty big names too, Smithy. Anthony Joshua and Dillian White. Yeah, absolutely. I just knew, I mean, you know, if you get pummeled that often, you got beaten five times as a professional, you'd probably retire. Mm. Uh, get out of it. You'd probably realise it isn't your thing. So I knew, um, but the fact is he hasn't fought for so long, so really looking forward to this upcoming, um, upcoming fight. I'm also looking forward to contestant number three. Oh. Who, would, who might that be? It's been a while since we've gone to third on the board, but we have John from Christchurch. Come in, mate. G'day, Joe. How are you doing? How are you, Smitty? Yep, I'm buff. Not too, not too bad this morning, uh, John. So looking forward to uh, the question. Logan, what is it? All right, well, we talk about next fights. Name the city where Joseph Parker will fight Joe Joyce for the WBO Interim World Heavyweight title. Um, well, I'm pretty, it's in, it's in the UK somewhere, um, uh, Manchester. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yep, Manchester at AUAO Arena, or more commonly known as Manchester Arena. Smithy, would you have been across that one? I had it. 
I had it covered. I mean, I know naff all about boxing, but I did know that because I've been reading about the prospect of fight coming up. Well done, John. You've done it again, you damn cantabs. You'd rip my ration card every blinking time. So, here's the thing, mate. I don't know about boxing myself, mate, but I actually read about that yesterday, so fresh on the mind. So good. You've got a hundred bucks. You've got a hundred bucks. So, we won on Friday where you lost to you on the Monday, so you got a hundred bucks coming to you. Courtesy of the TAV. Uh, stay on the line, John. You've been a winner before. I'm sure Brian's got your details, but just stay there just in case he can check for you. And uh, have a terrific week, mate. Thanks for taking part. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Cheers, fellas. Yeah, cheers. Uh, it's uh, 11.40 here on SENZ. Uh, we might talk a little bit of basketball. The Breakers uh, had a, a game um, over the weekend, so uh, we might talk a little bit about that. Um, and look at a couple of texts as well uh, in the next uh, little segment. It is, uh, as I say, 11.41 now. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Actually, yeah, just a reminder that uh, Stephen McIver will be uh, with you this afternoon. We'll cross to him uh, in around about uh, 10 minutes to see what he's got on the menu for you. But, yeah, Stephen McIver is uh, in the big chair with the big show this afternoon and plenty to talk about after the weekend's activities. Um, I'm not sure he'll touch on the basketball. We're going to touch on the basketball anyway, Logan, because uh, already the Breakers are back in action. Yeah, they are. They had a preseason game last week in uh, Franklin where they bet the Illawarra Hawks because the NBL blitz, the preseason blitz is ongoing at the moment. All the teams, I love this concept, Smithy. Uh, they all get together in Darwin and, and play each other. Last night, the Brisbane Bullets played against the Breakers. Brisbane, of course, got a bit of attachment there with New Zealand, CJ Bruton, but the one really cool story to come out of that game, yes, the Breakers lost 81-69, but we saw the return of Aaron Baines back in professional basketball after quite a really horrific injury that he suffered during the Tokyo Olympics where it was like a spinal cord injury and you know anything like that you worry are you ever going to walk again are you ever going to play again are you going to be able to play with your kids all those kind of things went through his mind uh, but after the game he spoke with a good friend of the show Joe Healy and this is what he had to say. Aaron, first competitive hit out with the Bullets. It's been a long time coming to get back on the court. Can you sum up how that feels and what it means to you? Yeah, uh, summing it up, tough one. Um, there's, there's a lot of months there where I didn't know if I'd ever run around with my kids, let alone get to run around on the court again. So a um, lot, of, lot of emotions tonight. Uh, so much fun, kid in a candy store. Um, yeah, just loving it, having, having a blast out there with the fellas, trying to enjoy every second of it. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's a game that I'm going to play from now on that I'll ever not go in with the idea that I'm going to have fun because I'm lucky to be doing it. Uh, yeah, big thank you to the family for getting me through to this point. So, um, yeah, great kids. Thank you. Um, massive. So, yeah, fun. So much fun. As you see, I'm just out here yelling, screaming, having a good time. Kid in a candy store, that's how Gisborne-born Aaron Baines calls it. Of course, later this week, Smithy, the Breakers do play again tomorrow night against the Illawarra Hawks, and then Friday night, this is the big one for me, they go up against defending champions, the Sydney Kings. Okay, incidentally, they lost that match 81-69 to the Breakers. Uh, prominent on the score sheet uh, for the uh, the Breakers, they lost to the Bullets, so I should say 81-69. Uh, Tom Vodanovic, Ryan Rupert, Rob Lowe. Uh, and uh, Gerald Brantley were the contributors, the main contributors in those 69 points. So a relatively 
low-scoring affair their first hit out. We'll look at uh, what uh, comes of uh, the remaining fixtures uh, in the NBL Blitz. Uh, just time also to uh, get through a couple of uh, texts that have been sent in. Um, well, maybe Stephen McIver might know something about this one. Uh, it's coming from Chris. Can you ask Vossi? I didn't see this till after we hung up on Vossi, but uh, can you ask Vossi if he's heard any rumour of RTS returning to the NRL? I was going to be asking Stephen McIver what chance of <laughs> of, uh, of RTS playing for the All Blacks this Saturday evening. Well, would you? Would you play him? Why wouldn't you? Well, well it's well, about time we found out something, isn't it? That's exactly right. I'm 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 picking right now a return somewhere in the future. I just don't see it, mate. I just do not see him being a regular pick when the midfield's so stacked. Mm. I mean, who have we okay. got? Who have we got to, yeah. Anton Leonard Brown's got to come back, right? Anton's got to come back. Maybe Jack Goodhue uh, back in the mix. There, see, there Quinter you go. Pyre back in the mix. Quinter How Pyre. patient is he going to be, Smithy? Mm. I mean, oh, I, I mean, I'm still dirty. He left. And he was allowed to leave because I thought it was a bad mm. culture move by the Warriors. But, hey, good on him. Take the cash. Write an All Blacks contract into your contract suite. Cool. Okay. More from, uh, <laughs> more from Stephen McIver uh, very shortly uh, as he looks forward to his show this afternoon. Uh, just a couple of other ones to come in. Damien McKenzie is the last thing the All Blacks need. Here's a skitterbug. Does some amazing runs but lets in way more points than he is good for. That's from uh, Gareth. Uh, morning, Smithy. I have no sympathy for Australia for any team wasting time. It happens too often, in my opinion. I only hope the refs continue in this vein from now on. As for the ABs, well, there you go again. Do they? Do you really imagine they'll pick RTS? They seem allergic to the idea. Shame. That's from Brian. Um, and uh, I think, oh, oh, Smithy, yeah, this is the final one. The ref clearly says to Foley, we play now, we play now. I switch time, I will switch time. Sound Japanese there for a second, didn't I? I will switch time on. We play now, time on. He blows the whistle. He looks at Foley, calls 10, what is, but it's ignored and blows the whistle. Clear comms to them. Now, if I'm a damn defence lawyer on behalf of Australia, having listened to that audio more so and more times, when he says 10, I'm saying to myself, if I'm Bernard Foley, I've got 10 seconds. He said 10. No, he's referring to your jersey number, Bernard, your jersey number, 10. But when he says 10, is he giving me 10 more seconds? Mm, very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Uh, we shall be back with uh, Mr. Very Interesting himself very shortly. It's 11.51 here on SENZ. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.